From stretch marks to self-love, Talking Out Loud explores it all. Tune in to season two for real, raw relationship stories and advice. I'm your host, Danae Mercer, and I'm happy you're here. Welcome back, guys. Joining me this week is the incredible Dr. Sarah Rasmi, psychologist and owner of Thrive Wellbeing Center and a specialist in couples therapy, which is just perfectly on theme for season two. Dr. Rasmi, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Now, season two of our show is all about relationships and how those connect to body image. And I, I, mentioned to my audience that you were coming on the show and I was just flooded, flooded with questions. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds about relationships and bodies and this and that. So if it sounds good to you, I'm just going to jump right into some of the community questions. That sounds awesome. Okay, perfect. So here's a big one that kept coming up again and again. How can we deal with insecurities in a relationship? This is a really common issue that a lot of people struggle with, and there are a couple of different ways that we can work on insecurities in our relationship. A big part of it has to do with our own self-talk. The inner voice that all of us have can be quite negative and critical sometimes, and often as a function of that, it's pretty unrepresentative of how we are actually seen in our partner's eyes. So one of the things that we can do is number one, try to check and replace these negative automatic thoughts with things that are a little bit more rational and positive. And then the other thing that we can do is try to work on having more positive beliefs about ourselves in general. So often if we are feeling insecure about the way we look, about some of the qualities that we may possess, let's say our intelligence or some of our social relationships, then we end up highlighting and looking for anything that fits with that narrative. And we often end up discounting all of the evidence to the contrary. So a big part of it is shifting our focus and trying to catch evidence that points to us being confident, attractive, intelligent, whatever it is that we're feeling insecure about. So those are two of the ways that we can try to address that issue. In addition to, of course, talking to our partner. So if we are somebody who really benefits from and enjoys getting words of affirmation and compliments from our partner, it is more than okay and actually quite advisable for us to let them know that this is our love language. So saying something along the lines of, it makes me feel really special, really seen, really validated when you acknowledge or appreciate or comment on X, Y, or Z. I would really like it if you could do a little bit more of that is a direct positive way to ask for what it is that we are looking for from our partner. It's so interesting to hear you talk about love languages. I mean, it's something I am in, I guess, a newer relationship. And my partner and I both did that. You could do like a free test online. And it was so insightful for me just to understand, like, because for me, it's it's all about just being hugged, being touched. And that makes me feel safe. It's like 99% that. But for him, it was all these other things. It was words of affirmation. It was things that I don't naturally do. 
but like you said, now, now you kind of, I kind of know to do it. So it, yeah, it absolutely helps. It does. And one of the things that happens, and I see this all the time in my practice, is people tend to give love in the way that they like to receive it. And then they get frustrated when they're not getting it in the way that they want to receive it from their partner. So usually what I say is have this discussion, take that quiz that you're referring to. And if somebody is reluctant to share, doesn't really want to go down that path, then look and see how they try to express it to you. Is it through gifts? Is it through words? Is it through time? Is it through acts of service? If they are giving one of those things more than the other, chances are that's what they crave, even if they haven't tapped into that and expressed it to you directly. Fantastic advice. Okay, so the next question came up a lot, and it's I would say it's a bit more of a delicate one. And also, I mean, the very first episode of season two, we, we had a kind of a horror story around this where a partner, a woman came out about her eating disorder to her partner and they left to her a week before her wedding. So the massive reoccurring question is, hey, I have disordered eating. Hey, I have an eating disorder and I, I don't know how to talk to my partner about it, how to tell them. I don't know how to ask them for help. What, what should someone do in this situation? First, I'm very sorry to hear about the experience that you just shared with me. It sounds like it was a very, very difficult time, and I hope that the people that were involved are doing okay and doing better now. When it comes to sharing information about disordered eating or any other type of mental health challenge, it is really important for us to have a conversation with our therapist or psychologist because they know the nuances of our situation in our relationship and they can really help us flesh out what the different components of that conversation is going to be like. But some of the common features that can be really helpful are to share a little bit of information about the challenge that you're experiencing. So if it's an eating disorder or an anxiety issue or depression, then sharing some information about what those symptoms are like, what it feels like for you, what your history has been like, communicating as openly as possible and expressing to our partner what it is that we need from them. A lot of times what happens is partners will want to try to support, but they try to support in the way that they know best. And sometimes for some people, that means giving advice and trying to problem solve. But often when we're sharing information like this, we're not necessarily looking for an answer or solution. We just want to put it out there and to be seen and to be heard. So part of having that conversation is setting the expectations and saying, listen, I'm going to share something that is a, a part of me, a part of my story. I think it's really important for you to know. And I know that you care about me and you might be tempted to come up with solutions and strategies, but really I just need you to hear me. And if it feels like it's too much or if you have questions, I'm more than happy to chat about that with you. And then on the flip side, if you are the partner who is hearing about something like that, it is important to engage in active listening skills. And if we feel like it's difficult or that the expectations that are being placed on us 
are more than we can handle because we don't really know how to do it, then sometimes seeking professional help for ourselves can be good. And also paying attention and making sure that we're engaging in our own level of self-care can be good. So you just mentioned active listening skills. Can you explain what those are? Sure. A lot of times when we're communicating with a partner or anybody really, we end up listening to rebut rather than listening to understand. And a lot of the time we have these assumptions that are in the back of our mind. And so as the person in front of us is talking, we're playing out in our head how we think this the scenario is going to go or we're looking for anything that they might say that's an in to go and break down or criticize what it is that they're trying to say that never lends itself to a productive conversation rather approaching the person with curiosity and inquiring when you need clarification or you need to understand something is a much better way to be able to get the message that they are trying to give you. And when that person there ends up feeling seen and heard, that means that they're going to be much more receptive to what you are saying when you respond. That's a, that's a beautiful answer. One of the big fears, I think a lot of I, I know my community have about talking to their partners about eating disorders is this this great fear that suddenly someone you love will drop you, that they will just disappear, turn away, and they will be done. Is that is that like a rational fear? And if it does happen, what do we do? It's so tough because this is such an uncertain situation. We don't really know what a partner or a loved one is going to do when we disclose anything to them. And frankly, it's not even really in our control. We can't control what somebody does. We can only influence and try to shape it as best as we can. So the answer, like with many things around relationships and psychology is, it really depends. But I think the question that we want to ask ourselves is, if a partner leaves us because we disclose something like this to them, were they the partner for us? Are they really accepting us as we are in the history that makes us who we are today? Or are they somebody who is looking for the version of us that seems more palatable and acceptable? And then do we really want that? Well, this leads me right into another really common question I was sent. And it's, I think I'm in a toxic relationship. I think I'm in an unhealthy relationship. Like, I don't really feel good around my partner. They talk about me all the time and it makes me sad. Like, how do we know if it is a toxic relationship? There are a lot of different warning signs that we can look out for. One of the big ones is something that we call contempt. And that's a lot of belittling, sarcasm, eye rolling. We also have controlling behavior that can be quite problematic, especially if the partner that we are with is trying to isolate us and really trying to get in the way of us having other external relationships putting us down, calling names, minimizing our experiences, denying when we share that something was difficult for us or that we didn't like something, dismissing it and saying, well, actually it was your fault and, and not mine, not being accountable, essentially. These are some of the key elements of an unhealthy or toxic relationship. And if you're noticing that this is happening on a regular basis and your gut 
is telling you that this is not a healthy relationship and you don't generally feel good when you are with your partner, then that's probably a sign that you need to reassess where you're at in your relationship. I'm over here nodding. I I wish Danae some years ago had had this advice because I you know, I've, I've spoken about this on my platform before, but I've been in a toxic relationship. And I remember sometimes just feeling absolutely like I was, like I was out of my mind because I would feel really bad. And then I would talk about it. And then the conversation would be like, oh no, but you are making these things up. Oh no, it's all in your head. And you're like, oh, is it, is it, am I, and it, it becomes this really kind of dangerous place where you stop in my case, I stopped trusting myself. I stopped trusting what I was feeling. I stopped trusting what was going on. So I love, I love how you said, you know, if you are questioning these things, then maybe it's, it's seriously worth looking at. Yeah, absolutely. And what you're describing sounds a little bit like gaslighting, denying the reality. And often it comes hand in hand with that social isolation piece, because the partner knows that one of the ways to get you to constantly second guess your reality and your experience of things is to not allow you, if you will, the opportunity to share or bounce that idea or experience off of somebody else and get that validation. So keeping you on your own is a way to kind of maintain that. And we often see those things going hand in hand. Gosh, it just, it just breaks my heart. But I, yeah, hopefully someone listening to this will, will be able to move in the right direction. One of the questions that kept coming up was, I don't love my body. Does my partner notice? Does my partner hate my body? Like, are we making out and they feel my cellulite and they think, oh, disgusting, because I think, oh, disgusting. How, how does someone start to feel better about their skin? And is it something that is destroying their relationship? Does the partner notice and hate it? Like, how do they navigate all of that? This is definitely something that comes up in my office a lot too. And believe it or not, it's something that comes up on both sides. So female partners might feel that way and male partners might also feel that way. And often the partners will look for some sort of reassurance. And even when their partner tries to provide it, end up dismissing it. And so one of the first things that I would say is believe your partner that they are attracted to you and see you in that particular way. And when you notice that you're starting to have that negative self-talk, when you are having a physical interaction with your partner, be aware of it, recognize it, say, okay, I'm thinking this about the way that I look. The reality is this is not a very accurate or rational thought. Clearly he or she is into me and I'm going to just try to push this to the side and come back to where I am in this moment. So being a bit more mindful, being mindful of your partner's touch, your partner's taste, your partner's smell, engaging your senses gets you out of your head and into the moment. And that ultimately ends up making for a much more satisfying sexual experience as well. That's fascinating that you just mentioned, I've heard those kind of grounding techniques in the context of if you have anxiety, if like you feel a wave of anxiety coming on, you do that, that activity where it's like, you know, three things I can see, four things I can smell, like one thing I can touch, that kind of very 
pulling yourself back into the moment. But I've never actually thought of that in the context of, of being with a partner. Yeah, and it works basically the same way because what we were describing before is anxiety in the context of a physical or sexual interaction. And the whole thing we want to do is get out of our heads and get out of the physiological arousal that usually comes with these negative automatic thoughts. And what better way to do that than engage yourself in the senses that you're experiencing in that interaction? That's just so, so beautiful. And I know it, it takes time for these things. Like I, you know, I'm pretty open with my bum <laughs> on the internet and my cellulite and what my thighs look like when I sit down, which when I was younger was a, a real kind of a touchy point for me. And still the other day I was like sat cross-legged on the floor and my partner came over and gave me a cuddle and like his hand touched my thigh. And my first instinct, my very first instinct was to pull my legs up so that he wouldn't, you know, heaven forbid, he wouldn't feel my cellulite. And I really, I really had to consciously think, no, no, leave, leave your legs there. Like he is not judging your body. He just wants to touch you. And like, you are proud of this, so just leave it, <laughs> you know? But it's hard, isn't it? It really is hard. And, you know, going back to what I was saying a few minutes ago, we don't always recognize that the insecurities can be on the opposite side too. And so we end up being very focused on what we perceive to be our flaws, and we don't pay a lot of the attention to the fact that our partner also thinks that he or she has flaws. And if we take a step back often we will, you know, recognize what some of those perceived flaws might be for our partner, but we, we, we love them and we appreciate them and it's part of the whole package. So basically talking to ourselves in the way that we would talk about our partner when it comes to the way that they look and the way that they perform is part of the way that we can move towards having a more rational and compassionate approach to some of these very difficult and very common issues. We have started to touch on intimacy between couples. And with COVID, I know so many couples are really sort of struggling to keep the flame alive or the, the intimate flame alive. And I was sent this question repeatedly, and it just basically says, we aren't having sex anymore. We are not sleeping together anymore does it mean our relationship's doomed? Like, how can a couple navigate that? And also, how can they find that that little spark again? This is a really common question for myself as well. And a lot of times, couples that see me will ask me, how often should we be having sex? And the reality is there's no cut and dry answer. The issue is finding the balance that works for both partners. And that can be really tough because one of the most common things that people will struggle with is a difference in desire. But over the course of the last year, since the COVID-19 pandemic started, a lot of people have experienced a dip in their sexual life. And part of the reason for that is that they're feeling quite emotionally disconnected from their partner. Emotional disconnection is in a lot of ways step uh, one of the impediments towards sexual connection. So if we want to work on feeling sexually closer and being more sexual in our relationship, part of it is making sure that we are 
feeling emotionally close. So having rituals of connection, deliberate moments on a regular basis where we touch base with our partner and we're very mindfully connected and not distracted and not talking about the administrative life stuff that tends to subsume our relationships, making time to deliberately appreciate and acknowledge one another. So building that sense of closeness also getting a little bit up to date about what each person likes sexually. Because a lot of times, even if we're in an established relationship, you think you know what the other person is into, but you haven't really had those conversations. And so now's a time when we can ask about what what people want to do and what people want to try and trying to approach that with uh, openness and and kindness is definitely a really important aspect of having a positive communication. If you have one partner who's really struggling and the other person who's really keen, it's important to try to avoid the pattern of one person pursuing really aggressively the other because what will end up happening is the other person will shut down and run away and that will trigger a more intense pursuit, which will trigger a more intense running away. And ultimately it won't end very well. So the partner who feels a little bit more anxious about that sexual connection should kind of be in the driver's seat. And there are certain techniques that can be used to pinpoint and work our way up from more basic less threatening, if you will, interactions like holding hands, non-sexual massage, all the way up to a sexual intimacy and connection. So there's a lot of different ways we can tackle it, but it doesn't surprise me that people have been asking about it because it's something I've been seeing a lot as well. Yeah, I think, I do think with us just living in our houses in our pajamas, it, it, it makes it a little bit more difficult to you know, have that romance or that like, ooh, look, we're at a shiny restaurant with candles and isn't it sparkly and isn't this beautiful. But I love your idea of, of setting some deliberate time so that you have those those deep emotional connections. Now, Dr. Rasmi, I am aware of your time. Would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself and where and how people can contact you if they'd love to have a one-on-one chat? Sure. So I'm a licensed psychologist here in Dubai, and I run a clinic called Thrive Wellbeing Center. It's three years old, and now we are a team of 11 mental health professionals. I personally work mostly with individuals who are struggling with anxiety, as well as couples who are facing emotional as well as sexual disconnection issues. If anyone wants to get in touch, you can reach me either via our website, which is www, maybe that was one too many W's, thrive.ae. And uh, also we're on social media at Thrive Wellbeing Center. And me personally, I'm at Dr. Sarah Resmi. Perfect. And I will go ahead and link all of those down in the description box below. Dr. Sarah, thank you so, so much for joining me. I know I had a real 
task filtering through all of the questions that were sent in for you. So I'm just thankful that you you took some time out of your day to, to come on our show. It was really my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And guys, remember to go ahead and click subscribe. We will have more relationship, body image, and self-love themed episodes coming out next week. I'll talk to you soon. 